make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. This is episode 10, and today I'm speaking with Bina Shah, Pakistani writer and columnist for New York Times. Hi, Bina. Hi there, Aina. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. I know sometimes these conversations are not the easiest, but if not us, then who will have them? Let's go for it. <laughs> so so let's start talking about um, feminism, firstly. Yep. Intersectional feminism, Islamic feminism. I mean, I tend to, you know, I've... I identify as feminist, and it upsets two types of people. It upsets religious bigots who think mm-hmm. feminism is unnecessary, and then this new like group of people who are reacting to like the social justice, extreme, oh, yes. radical feminism, where they think that the label of feminism is not necessary. And I disagree with both. So, you know, I'm pretty staunch in my feminism. I don't think it should be defined by its crazy fringes. Um, On that, we agree. But then comes in intersectional feminism. Right. Islamic feminism. Right, right. Well, I mean, I I attended a very interesting panel uh, a couple of weeks ago here in Karachi. It was part of the uh, Wow Fest, Women of the World, which is... Uh, a UK, a London festival to celebrate girls and women. And they held their very first edition in South Asia. They chose to do it in Karachi. They had a great panel and there were some very good speakers uh, who all identified as feminists. One of the speakers made a really good distinction between feminism, as in with a capital F, sort of the, the global waves, first wave, second wave, third wave, as we understand the general movement for the for the equal rights of women. And so there's feminism on the one hand versus feminisms. Yes. Mm-hmm. So so different feminisms. And she was sort of arguing that she felt it was more important for us to identify with feminism with a capital F rather than splintering into our different groups of feminisms because that's sort of diluted the movement maybe weakened it sort of made but the there's so many opposing types of feminism that it's hard well, to kind exactly. of identify exactly. as a whole like when it comes to intersectionality i find that a lot of these intersectional feminists are very against the intersection of people who disbelieve and people of, and women of color so that's an intersection that is often not Recognize it's all about you know women of color, women of color, and their religion and their religion, and accepting that. But there's no acceptance for not towing that line for disbelieving. Well, that's a very interesting observation. I'm myself not aware of a of a sort of unified atheist feminist movement. Is that something you're a part of? 
no, no. Um, it's not really an atheist feminist. I just identify as feminist, and uh-huh. the, even within atheism, obviously, it's not such a a strong unifying factor. There's atheists that are left leaning and right leaning, and sure. um, you know, pro choice and pro life and conservative, sure. and so there's no like atheist feminism, but. Um, I do feel that there there should be more feminists within atheism. There's mm-hmm. maybe less space for it than there, than there should be. Um, I have noticed. I have noticed that there's a predominance of white men in this. Uh, I suppose atheist, secularist, humanist movement. The vo- the very vocal movement, mm-hmm. and I have had to that effect that it is dominated by white men. They've done polls and mm-hmm. that is the, the group that shows up that most identifying with that sector. But could it be that like it's that they're not only just not making space for anyone else, but also that certain privileges and having certain opportunities makes it so that it just happens that way that, you know, uh, more advantaged people in the West happen to be white men. Oh, I know so many people are going to be so angry at me for saying that. <laughs> because, oh my gosh, white privilege, it's not real. Um, but anyways, we know that uh, there are certain groups that do get more advantages in certain ways than other groups, just like in the religious manner, um, I guess. There is like a religious privilege as well that non-religious sure. people don't get. Absolutely. I mean, I just read the other day, in fact, uh, an essay from a black writer, mm-hmm. and he said that traditionally, you know, black movements have been very church-dominated, and there needs to be more space for the the, the black um sort of activists who are not believing. Right. Are so not our believing, communities in you know people of color, we we. We do tend to have communities that are very, very religious, right? And so we can't really shift that all that blame on oh, it's all white men that get these prominent positions of no, vocal atheism. No, it's no. because our communities don't allow for us to stray outside that line as well, uh, or have these conversations yes, or explore I mean, ourselves in that way. Yeah, I, mean, I read the so silliest the- poem on the internet the other day called finding yourself is for white people and oh really yeah (laughs) what was the gist of it it was basically you know finding yourself is for white people people of color don't have that privilege where they can explore you can only explore yourself when you have that space to explore yourself and uh you know it just talked about like how white people go exploring in other people's um motherlands and how this uh, is some sort of oppression and they write down uh-oh. recipes for doll and oh it just it you know that kind of thing really upsets me because there's there's movements like this like take back the bindi and where they don't want to share have you heard of the artisanal ghee yes and also that uh-huh. was controversial right like these things yeah. make to me make people of color seem very petty. Of course, we're not all the same, so not all of us agree with that, but I I, I get really angry when I see these types of um, ridiculous Mm. statements that brown people can't explore or find themselves, you know? Um, We can express ourselves, find ourselves, search for ourselves, even if we are, you know, living in a war-torn country, a poverty-stricken country. There was a lot of, like... um, children begging and alone and you think they don't 
search for their identities or think about things. I mean, it's so kind of condescending to assume that you have to be privileged in a certain kind of way to even want to explore your identity. Well, to me, it sounds like there are two issues being discussed here. And one is, of course, self-exploration and the privilege of having space to do that when perhaps you're not in a socioeconomic uh, strata where survival is your biggest priority. So I think there's that. Right. If there's no food on the table, obviously that's going to be your biggest priority, food, shelter, water. I'm talking about the criticism being late, sort of levied through this poem. The other issue is, of course, cultural appropriation and people going to Africa to discover themselves. And, I mean, there's a great Instagram, I think it's called, oh, what is it? It's uh, Cultural Appropriating Barbie or something like that. (laughs) Or, oh my God, it's hilarious. It's, it's where Barbie basically goes to Africa and is doing all these amazing charitable things. It's just such a send up of that whole sort of um, the, the poverty tourism and the, the, the missionary tourism and that kind of thing. Right, it is fun- again, see, I take issue with that because sometimes people with good intent are just going out there to help people. And then these uh, narratives come in, portray them as people who are enjoying the suffering of others and just making themselves feel better, like poverty tourism. What is well, there, that? There, there's a clued in way and there's a clueless way to do this. Mm-hmm. There, there, are, there are ways in which you can go out there and be very aware of your privilege mm-hmm. and be very aware of your cultural baggage, especially as a white person going to perhaps a country with a history of co- uh, colonialism and imperialism. Yeah, and but I should think you be like afraid if someone at the store offers you like a sari or whatever? Like you'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to take that cultural. Like, come on, man! Like the people in Zainab Market are not afraid of cultural appropriation when they're selling you their stuff. They just want to sell their stuff, right? Yeah, but if you're going to put on the sari and then take an Instagram picture of yourself and go with surrounded by like orphans, right? And be like, look at me, I'm making such a difference to the world. That's where you're getting a bit clueless, in my opinion. Of course, people come here and they come to serve. They come and they find themselves in the process. And that's a human experience. That's not bound by color. But I think it's the parameters in which it's done. And the pre- we have different ways of talking about self-discovery. It, it varies from culture to culture. There are so many, like you know, like rituals that of coming of age rituals, and so many of our cultural rituals so around. Then we can agree that finding yourself is not just for white people. No, I mean that's a ridiculous concept. But I think it's it's that whole culture of finding yourself you know like the eat pray love thing where she just takes off for a year and she goes to all these places that are so exotic and she finds right, herself but again there's different ways of I finding yourself i think that's right? the poet is probably expressing some irritation with that cult which has been done to death so i don't blame right, him or then, her yeah so then it goes overboard on that right like i think the term cultural appropriation comes and initially it has a core point which gets lost when you find cultural appropriation and everything. Sure, if like H and M is marketing like Indian style jewelry, mass marketing it, and uh, you know the people who who've created this jewelry do not profit from it, and H and M is profiting from it, it's unfair. And 
they're profiting off of someone else's culture where poor women on the streets of Karachi may try to sell the same kind of jewelry and they won't even make like one hundredth of that amount. So I get it in that sense. Yeah. But if my friend is invited to my wedding and she's white and I want her to wear a bindi or whatever, I don't want other people coming up to her and yelling at her, take back our bindi, like, why are you oppressing us? Or if my friend, wa- you know, learned from my grandma how to make ghee and she wants to market it, that's you know, business. You know, you know where the anger comes from? There is so much anger in that cultural appropriation accusation. And you know where it actually comes from? That when my grandmother wore the bindi, she was racially abused for it. She was No, I get doc- it. But since, so then right? you're progressing beyond that right where certain no, people are what you're saying it. is what you're saying is that the bindi on my my 65 year old you know hindu little indian grandmother is not cool in fact it's something to deride her for but when you white person take it and put it on then it becomes cool that is the sentiment that people are upset about why didn't you accept this, Bindi? When but it, it was wasn't being... the same person that did it. That didn't. That... No, 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 no. You're missing the point. That's no, no. Not, I that's... get, I get the point, but I, it seems petty to me because this white person never was part of that. So they're accepting a part of our culture. Why then tell them they can't? It's, it's not about individuals. It's about the entire zeitgeist. But then individuals are being stopped on college campuses, told they can't have dreadlocks, or you know. These types of things are just ruining the actual social justice behind these uh, terms. Like now people don't take so many people don't take feminism seriously because people find sexism in everything. You know, like a guy wearing a shirt with pinup girls on it. If he's a scientist sending something off to Mars, he's the sexist that has now discouraged future generations of women from entering into science careers simply because of the shirt he chose to wear. Well, okay. So I think going back just to, to, to that last point about the, the person wearing the dreadlocks and so on and so forth, again, we have to go back to history and realize that a lot of people feel that by going through imperialism, colonialism, a lot of their heritage was stolen from them. Right, but a lot go back of- even further and maybe another kind of civilization used dreadlocks. And then why are people then straightening their hair or wearing jeans or happily consuming pizza and croissants for breakfast but you cannot have a paratha. We'll have croissants. There are, there are certain cultures that Western culture looks up to as very cool, like French culture, for example, or Japanese culture. And then there are certain cultures that are not seen, they're typically not seen as cool. They're seen as kind of inferior, like Indian culture, for example, or some kinds of African culture. Uh, Africa is a very diverse country, of course, the 84 countries that make up the continent. So what I'm saying is, and I've done a lot of reading about this, and it does come down to the fact that people have different histories, people have different memories of that history, and they have different kinds of baggage. It doesn't mean the same thing when, when a white person like, oh, I read this article that why is it that we call certain types of food exotic and foreign and other types of food not? But see, we this don't is call- just nitpicking now. Exotic and foreign oh, isn't like trying to say something bad. I get what you're saying. I get like your bottom line. Consider if you're sitting in the U.S. or Canada and you're going out for pizza, you're not like that's foreign food. But if you're going for Indian food or, you know, um, Indonesian food, that's foreign food. Do you see what I mean? There's a value. I know, know, but I mean, it's not 
ill-intended. Like I know, I, I know my white friends who love Indian food and Pakistani food. Yeah, but they may describe it as exotic because that's not something they grew up with. But pizza is something. They're not like malicious for that reason. They're just seeing it as something they didn't have access to their whole lives. You know, well, I think so what, to me, this kind what, of nitpicking really then creates divides that don't need to happen. That's fine. I think that, like, for example, the author of this poem and other people are finding their voices and there's a sort of democracy, there's a digital democracy that has come about with social media where people can express themselves and people are sort of letting loose with maybe the anger of quite a few generations that they have experienced, that their parents have experienced, that yeah, their grandparents... but grand it also becomes a scapegoat, right, for not really self-reflecting. I'm most interested in the betterment of my own community, and I see a lot of times we are deflecting those problems because, oh, but the West did this, oh, but colonialism, oh, but imperialism made us do No, that. I don't... I, I think that the best we can do with colonialism and imperialism is understand how certain things got to be the way they are today. And we shouldn't be scapegoating it. We should also not dismiss it and say, well, it doesn't matter anymore because these no, things... No, I'm, I'm not trying to matter. dismiss it. Where do we go from today? People how think it's either or, right? You're either pro-colonialism or you want to bring it up and everything. It doesn't have to be that way. We can both say it wasn't excellent for obvious reasons and these are the harms that came about because of it. But we can also say that it's time for us to take responsibility of what's going on in our own societies, our own countries, our own communities, and stop blaming colonial rule for everything. Like, there's one, one example. The colonial rule brought with it criminalization of homosexual sex. Yeah. Officially, right? So before that, we may Pretty have found sure, it yeah, taboo. Yeah, that was certainly the case. Um, but I still see people kind of pointing to that as, oh, you see, so they spoiled it for us. We were not a homophobic nation. They spoiled it for us. But no, I mean, it's been how many years now? These very countries that brought these laws have changed that within their own. We can do that too. We can't always just point at, oh, they brought it, so they screwed us. Yeah, I, I see your point. I see your point with that. I think that when I look at colonialism or any kind of historical movement, I'm looking at it to observe what its effects have been on society. I don't think that, uh, I don't think we can, you know, just suddenly snap our fingers and say, right, now we're just going to forget all about no, it. because obviously it's, not. It's, its effects are still being felt yeah, today. I, I agree. I mean, we still have uh, effect, the effects of colonialism. They did hamper our development, our economic growth, they did right, put us it's back. it's important then to use it accurately and at the right times and not overuse it till it becomes meaningless. Sure. It's I mean, like sure, that it's Islamophobia thing, a term that I completely disagree you, with. But when you... Have you seen the cartoon of um, the white man and the black man? And the white man is trying to get up to a tree, so he stands on the black person's shoulders and gets up onto the tree. And then the black person says, now help me up. And he's like, no, you should be able to do it yourself. So it's like that. It's but I mean, that's very generalizing, right? Well, of course, but we're having a general discussion. And I think we need to understand that there are things that carry ripples 
and I think colonialism will always keep rippling forward. But it's I think not it- just one way, right? Like colonialism, imperialism. What about Arab imperialism? Look at how it's taking over the subcontinent. No one really seems to blame that. They embrace oh, we are, it. They're very aware of it, and we are there's a lot of talk in our yeah, it's society. It's very much like, ah, oh, it's all Saudi's fault. It's not Islam's fault. But it's very much like, who can be more authentically Muslim? Who can be more Saudi? Who can stop saying Khuda so are we, Hafiz? Are we now switching the conversation to religion and that? Because my, my brain needs a minute to shift gears <laughs> okay. now. We're- we'll probably go in and out, is my guess. But, um, yeah, we were talking of colonialism, so it just came up. Um yeah. So I'm just saying that it just doesn't go one way. It's not the West versus the East. Sometimes it's the East versus the East, right? No, you know, I, and remember, I'm coming to this conversation from the perspective of an Eastern woman living in the East. I've had my time in the West, mm-hmm. but I look at things from a very Eastern perspective. Mm-hmm. So I, I live in a place where colonialism has damaged a lot of things and the damage is still felt today. Yes, we need to really pick ourselves up, take our responsibility, move forward, get going. But it's kind of like understanding that your legs were broken once and how did they get broken and the fact that your legs may hurt from time to time going forward and you are just going to have to live with that to do the best. Time. No, no, no. We just, we've just accepted defeat. Like, oh, we can't do anything about this. Like, our legs were broken a hundred years ago. We can't. I don't know who this we is that you're talking about because I, where I live, people are working hard to get to get somewhere. People are working hard to progress. And, you know, as much I as you. Know, has Pakistan improved in your lifetime or gotten worse? Uh, yeah, it's improved. There are a lot of things that have gotten a lot, 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 lot better. Extremely. But, I mean, certain things have gotten a lot, lot worse. Like my grandmother could walk out in a sleeveless, strapless outfit in a public park in whenever she was young, and there was no like talk of hijabs and niqabs everywhere. These things just didn't exist. Yeah, now I it's never changed so much. I never saw a hijab until. Growing up, I never saw anyone wear a hijab. And then one day, there was a girl in my high school who had come from Peoria, and her mother wore a hijab. And we were just all like, what is this thing? We've never seen it before. It was weird. It's very foreign to to me still. I mean, even though I I grew up in Saudi as well. So it's not foreign to me in that regard. I mean, I was surrounded by burqas when I left my compound. Um, But amongst the Pakistani community, it it was very rare, and now it's everywhere. So that's another effect of imperialism, right? So when we discuss imperialism, sure. I feel we should be sure. fair and discuss all kinds. I think that's that's definitely that is an Arab influence, and it's not even just a, Arab is, again, so many countries. It's a very Saudi, and it's a very Wahhabi kind of influence mm-hmm. On, mm-hmm. on our dress code and on, on women's dress code, but even men, too. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's just, not just dress code; it's language too. Like, you know, to say goodbye in Urdu, we say "Khuda Hafiz," right? Yeah, yeah, which I still do. Right, and a lot of people have changed it because "Khuda" is Persian; they've changed it to "Allah Hafiz," so it's like pure Arabic. 
<laughs> it doesn't even make any sense grammatically. If you want to say goodbye in pure Arabic, you'd say fi amanullah. You wouldn't say Allah hafiz. It's well, funny. Or masalama or, or, you know. Masalama, nobody says masalama here. No, no, that's like Arabic, no, Arabic. Yeah, exactly, it's correct Arabic. Yeah, I, I mean, some of these But yeah, they just, wanted to take the Persian influence out. They wanted to stick the Arabic in. Can't. And so they sometimes can't. I see in my family gatherings, as everybody's leaving, those who <laughs> clung to their original khuda hafiz, khuda hafiz, and they're stubbornly clinging on to it, while others are like looking at them. No, it's Allah hafiz, Allah, you know? And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is- These are silly things, honestly. I mean, I wouldn't, it, I, I used to be like, uh, and now I'm just like, who cares? I'm going to say khudafis, you say whatever you want. It's not, to be honest with you, uh, our society has a certain core, which is very South Asian. And no matter how much we try to stick an Arab, sort of a gloss over it, it's not going to change at its core. Oh, it's changed though. It's changed so no, much. Not, not, not in this. I mean, if you come to Pakistan, you, you will see we are South Asian in nature. You cannot call us an Arab country. No, we no, don't we're not an Arab country there, but we're getting there. As Al Huda spreads, we I saw last time I was there, I saw a shop that was only for women women allowed inside. I'd never seen that in Pakistan before. And I was like, this the is only shop that I know that's women only is a bra shop. I haven't seen See, any others in, that are even in Saudi, it was men that sold you bras. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. It was very bizarre. And they have like the raciest underwear there in the shops, by the way. It used to be that there were before women actually were working as much as they did. That's where one thing that I've seen a big improvement. A lot of women in the workforce, a lot more women, girls and women in school, college, university. I mean, women's education is just soaring. So that is such a great and concrete change for the better that I'm really happy about. Right. So, I mean, in some ways, we have to keep up to date with the world, right? Like, we also have internet now, and we didn't have it back in the day because it didn't exist. But it should have improved. Things should have improved a lot more by now. And Well, you know, things are what they are. We can hold ourselves to a standard and say we should be here and we'll never. But what where we are from where we used to be is better. And I'm saying... The perspective of somebody who's lived in Pakistan about 30 years now, and I do see improvement. Right, but you also I, see the ways in which it has regressed, right? Society is in flux. We're, and in Pakistan, we have a, a unique sort of environment. We have a lot of uh, internal factors that... So we're being pulled... I would say we're being pulled backwards and forwards at the same time. Now, that's something... And I think that happens in a lot of developing nations where there are both internal and external forces that are influencing us. I mean, certainly our burgeoning population is a huge stress on our resources. It's a huge stress on, and we don't really have good planning. We don't really have good sort of government management and people who are forward thinking. So our vision for the future is lacking. So yeah, so let's talk about this forward thinking people. It's interesting Mm -hmm. because here you and I are both conversing. We're both, I guess, liberal minded people from Muslim, from the Muslim community. However, we are not on the same page on a lot of stuff actually. Right. 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 And when it comes to colonialism, feminism, and um, the role of religion, I think we're on opposing sides. And it's weird because in 
How are we on opposing sides feminism, on feminism? You and I both agree that women deserve equal rights. So oh, absolutely. That's, that's not on the table for me. No, it's not. Not for me either. I don't think it is for most people. I, only crazy people think that <laughs> men and women do not deserve equal rights. So, um, but it, in terms of Islamic feminism or the fact that, you know, the religion gives us these rights and has... I don't know, given people the tools to be feminist in today's world, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, I think that works for Muslims. I don't think it necessarily works that way for people who are not Muslim. Right, but I was once Muslim. And right. then I couldn't reconcile that. And so but I now certainly would, I wouldn't insist that you as an, as an ex-Muslim should look to Islam for your feminism. That would be stupid. I think people need to come to feminism in any way that they see that they see works for them. Islamic feminism works for women who want to reconcile their Islam and their feminism. It's just one right, of the many. It just, it, it, it's just two opposite things. Like you have a verse that tells you, you know, or, or what you say is a Salafi interpretation where men sure. are in charge of women, and um, you know you can strike them or whatever, and then you, you're believing in this, and you're also saying you're feminist, or you're wearing a niqab or a hijab, and you're saying this is your like expression of your feminism. It's an injustice to the word feminism because these things are the opposite of equality for men and women. I don't know a single Muslim feminist who says, yes, I, I should be hit. I really No, no, I know she doesn't, but she's what is she doing then? They'll well, always find a way. They'll say either the word is mistranslated, it is out of context, or they just don't know about this verse. That's the thing that a lot of actually anti Muslim bigots don't realize is that they think that all Muslims endorse every single verse in their scripture actively. And what I have a tough time um, explaining to people is that Muslim is a spectrum. People believe to varying degrees, people practice to varying degrees, just like any other religion. Just because it's Muslim doesn't automatically mean devout, you know, and literalist. Muslim means a lot of things, and as I always say, Islam is no monolith. And right. You know, and, and it should be up to the individual really to define their Islam for themselves. It should be, I, but you can't like deny what exists in the primary scripture. Like it, it actually is written there in black and white. I mean, we can talk about verse four thirty four, where we can say That's that it doesn't say one. to hit. It said you can say it doesn't say to hit. It actually says to separate. So sure, but if say, you read the verse, um, yeah, I've read. Yeah, it's it's misogynistic regardless it, it talks about men being in charge so even if we say that it doesn't say to hit it says to separate it's still misogynistic well what if what if we look at the work of of feminist scholars muslim ones who have looked at that verse and said it actually doesn't say men are in charge of women it says men have the responsibility to financially maintain women that's also sexist why because why should anybody care for me like I'm a pet? It wouldn't be anybody. It would be perhaps the, your partner. And why? Why? Only why? What about it would be at times when you couldn't actually look after yourself? For example. What about at times he can't look after himself? There's nothing stopping you from looking after him financially. Right, but why is there a verse specifically saying that he's in charge of me or in charge of what? taking care of me or... It's we really have um, quite a lot of history where men father kids and take off. 
And so perhaps that verse was reminding men of their responsibilities. There's, there's clearer ways to put that. Don't take off. I honestly saying, think, you know, I don't, you can beat your wife or forsake them in bed or you're in charge of women. I mean, and then there's so many things that just well, add I up. I never, I don't like the interpretation men are in charge of women. I prefer the interpretation men have the responsibility to financially maintain women when they are more capable of of that than the woman herself. You're just like adding but, but stuff now yourself. I'm not actually. If you if you look at the commentary, if you look at the verses, it says men, women. It, you can look at the interpretation that says men are the financial caretakers of women because some are excellent. This is so sexist. This is so 1950s. Men are the financial caretakers of women. Come on. How is that? How is that they, feminist? Let me ask you a question. Suppose you 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 have a partner. Suppose that you have a child with that man. Suppose you fall ill with postpartum depression. You're unable to work. Who's in charge of helping with that situation? Yeah, but is postpartum depression the only thing that could happen? Like, what if yeah, what if he one, gets ill? There's nothing that you can also look. I mean, I, I just see, I don't understand. Right, why but just pointing this out specifically that men, you must look after your women, even if you in, choose to interpret it as look after and not in charge of. However, there's another verse um, where it says men, women are their tilth and they can come forth and plow them however they like. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, you are. it's hard to ignore the repeated themes of not feminism. See, when you want to, it, it really is going to depend on what you're bringing to this to this table. Let's look at Islam as a, as a table. Now, what you bring to the table is what is going to determine the shape and the size and, and whether the table has equal legs or unequal legs. All I'm doing or, is reading the words. I'm not bringing anything. I'm just looking at what's written and Stating so why is it that I'm looking at what's written and you're looking at what's because written? Because you're trying really hard to find an alternate interpretation, which makes why it is, sound more palatable. Interpretation alternative. Why is yours the mainstream interpretation? Why? Because it is. Look in, look around if in the world. It is the mainstream interpretation for hundreds of years. Maybe you've accepted the patriarchal world that has decided that this is the mainstream interpretation. Maybe you've fallen. You maybe you've drunk the Kool Aid. <laughs> Maybe I'm actually looking at this from a radically feminist or a radically liberating or a radically emancipatory reading. No, what's happened, this is the way I see it. Feminists now who can't reconcile any other way see this and say, oh, well, we got to, you know, I mean, it's badly written, firstly, because it does not have a clear message. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's contradictory oh. everywhere and probably wouldn't get published today. Um so you can really I'm, pick from I'm it what you like. I'm not really worried whether a publishing company publishes it or not. <laughs> I know. I was just joking. <laughs> my issues. Um, but um, you can take from it what you like and you can That's the whole point. Embellish. You are supposed to take No, well, right. look, again, I'm just going to say that, you know, I don't accept 
that this is the way we have to read it. That's great, Bina. I support you in that. But what I find upsetting is the whitewashing of the suffering of many, many women and apostates and LGBT by saying this is not a plausible interpretation. It's their plainest day. Governments take it seriously. Majority scholars take it seriously. Why, why would I be against that interpretation if I wasn't recognizing that people have suffered under that kind of interpretation. No, but you're saying that it's just misunderstood. It's like telling me that my abuser... So That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, it's so innocently misunderstood. I think it's been very willfully treated as such. And I think that because the world has been such a misogynist world and such a patriarchal world from the get-go. So it, it's it really the, problem, has, the, wor- the world is the problem, but religion is not to blame. I think, I think men are the problem, to be very honest with you. I think men are the problem because men want to preserve their power. But They'll men are it. the ones who, who created this religion. All the prophets are men. All the, every, like most verses are addressed to men. You were saying that men are the problem, not necessarily religion, right? And well, I mean, this is my take on it, I know, and I know nobody's going to agree with me, and you know, neither mainstream Muslims nor non-Muslims, whatever. But this is my unique take on it. I really do think, because of patriarchy, and I'm a feminist, so I view things in terms of patriarchy and misogyny. But I really do think that men have been in power, pretty much since the beginning of time, except for there were a lot of uh, matrilineal societies. Wait, wait, let me finish. Let me finish. There there have been matrilineal societies. There have been matrilineal religion, matriarchal religions. These were mostly pre-Abrahamic or what have you. But since the advent of sort of what we know as Abrahamic religions and modern society and so on and so forth, men have pretty much taken control. They have taken advantage of the fact that women were tied up with, you know, child rearing and so on and so forth. And those roles became very uh, solidified and codified. And they used a lot of the aspects of religion to make that sort of set in stone that this is what women should do. This is what men should do. Going on from that, I really do think that men have taken the lead in controlling scripture Okay, but and if its God, translation if, and its interpretation. If God was an all-knowing, perfect for all time being, yeah. would he not have communicated better? Could he not know that <laughs> a dinosaurs existed? Maybe he should have included that in the holy book. B, right. you know, don't don't take slaves should be a basic and we can get into the slavery thing if you want. Oh God, um, yes. You know, don't uh, kill people for thinking differently than you. Just, just some simple clarifications, right? Don't right. I know. Children. I mean, I think, but he didn't do that. Instead, it's a confusing, contradictory bunch of. I agree that it's. I, I agree that these things are not set out one, two, three. I, if only it was all just the Ten Commandments, it's so clear. No, but the this Ten Commandments not... miss a lot of important stuff, too. <laughs> well, there are only ten of them. If there were a hundred, maybe there would have been more. Um, they, like, I, think I know. I mean, I, I agree with you that, God, if only it was easier, if only it was in a language that I didn't have to learn to understand it, if only I could well, have... Doesn't that give you a clue about yeah. how fallible it could be? It's not... 
you know, so it either gives me a, it gives me a clue as to the fact that we cannot be satisfied with what is on the surface of things. We can't be satisfied with what we've been told. We can't be, and this is the major mistake we all make, those of us who call ourselves Muslims. We accept what other people tell us without actually going to it ourselves and making up our own minds. And if you go to it and you read it yourself and you decide this isn't for me, I don't agree with this, I don't like it, fine. But if you're actually just saying on hearsay, well, I've heard it's like this, so I'm going to believe it or I'm not going to believe it, Right, that's but I'm lazy. not. I'm not doing that. I've actually extensively, really looked well, into yeah. it. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's fair. And if 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 you've done that, you've done your examination, and you are unhappy with what you read, you are perfectly free not to follow. Honestly, it. I was more happy being Muslim when I didn't read anything. Right, because then it's just what I was born into, just what my parents brought me up as. Right, you, when didn't, I started, have to, you didn't have to, when you had to actually engage with it and struggle with it, you were not satisfied. Yeah, I mean, all, always, even as a kid, there were some basic logical questions that my parents couldn't right. answer. And so, like what, for example? Like, for example, that whole Abraham story that, you know, he was uh, told to sacrifice his son. So when my mom okay. told me about that, it terrified me. And right. I'm like, so this guy is a good example of a good human being or whatever. And he's so wonderful right. that he listens to God, even if God comes in his dream and tells him that you're going to have to sacrifice your son. So what yes. kind of a messed up world are we in where God can come to my mom in a dream and say, you have to sacrifice your child. And she would be a bad person not to listen. So I asked her, right. like, would you do that right. to me? And she was like, I would never do that to you. Don't worry. Right. And I'm like, so are you, a, are you a bad Muslim? Which makes you a good person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she's like stumped, right? Like she doesn't know. I asked her if, uh, about evolution and Adam and Eve and how that all right. links up. And again, you know, she, she, does, she didn't really know how to answer. But Right, right. So there was always logical things that want that left me wanting. So as I grew older and older, I kept exploring. The less, right. the more I knew, the less I believed. The more I knew, the less right. I believed. Right. Right. And so right. then I come across I, women who see these mainstream interpretations and say, "Okay, well, this is not good enough for us. We're going to create our own feminist." version of this this is you know in theory that's that's lovely but you cannot deny that this is also a plausible interpretation if we're just going on interp everybody's interpretation here because the writing itself is so vague that nobody knows whose interpretation is right and whose interpretation is wrong who's to say one is more superior than the other well these are questions that each person has to ask for themselves i kind of go on a lot of the times my own instinct. I go on my gut feeling. I go on the feeling that, but I mean, that's my, you then that's you doing the work, your gut, that, your feeling exactly. are in line with the exactly, secular 21st the, century. I consider that part of my struggle as a spiritual person, that it is on me. It is on me to do that work. And I don't think but that. But then why, uh, for, why and, credit and, it to like a book that's over a thousand years old that isn't making much sense consistently when you're um, doing all the work? Are you asking me? Are you asking me why am I a Muslim? Like why do I still believe no, no, in this? I'm just saying when you're 
doing the hard work of figuring stuff. You're relying on your gut. It really doesn't have to do with the scripture then. It's not really guiding you. Uh, In what way do you say that, that it's not guiding me? Well, you're guiding yourself. It's your morals and your values and your liberal I'm, thoughts that are guiding I've, you. I've taken, I've taken the, those morals from this scripture, though, and somehow I have read the scripture in a way that guides me to those morals. For example, I feel that the scripture has taught me that it's wrong to take a human life. It's wrong to life Yet it, innocently. Yet it says multiple times that you can do in certain situations. All right, but if I told you my reading of that and how I interpret that, you would call me an apologist. So how do I convince you that my reading can bring me to this position of where I am today, a very happily practicing Muslim and yet a person who exists in the modern world with as few contradictions as I possibly what can I manage? What I see as an apologist is someone who will make excuses or like have to really twist and bend the interpretation to fit within modern life. So if you're reading something on the paper and it doesn't sound like that at all, like the wife beating verse or the not wife beating verse, as you may see it, um, you're going to say that it, you know, it was taken out of context. It means separate. However, the entire verse is sexist in my view, even if you just disregard the beating Word. Have you have you read the work of the feminist Muslims Amina Wadud or Rifat Hassan? Very much, I remember. Okay, but have you read Keisha Ali? Have you read uh, the? What what would I get from reading this stuff if it's just twisting? Alternative viewpoints, women's viewpoints. Why is that not a useful exercise? These are really frustrating viewpoints that whitewash the stuff that causes so much damage to me. I don't know. I would I would actually give it a chance. I would actually if I was a feminist. I've read sort. some stuff. I, I would, but it just—it's so unconvincing. It's so like trying. I think you so would like. Hard. I think you would like Keisha Ali's Sexual Ethics and Islam, which has just come out in a new edition, twentieth anniversary it out. edition. I'll check it out. Huh? I'll write it down. And check I'll it out check because it out. what she says, she she doesn't do any whitewashing. She doesn't do any apologizing. She says, "Yes, these verses are there." There's no way that we can sort of go back and whitewash them to appease to modern sensibilities. So this is what's left, and this is how we try to make sense of it. See, I think you would like me, that makes reading. more sense than saying that's that, kind oh. of a that's kind of a position that I have. That I look at those verses as a lot of that is speaking to the people of the seventh century. Right, but then it's not and perfect. If, frankly. For all times. Well, okay, hang on here. If Let's just go back and say, suppose we look at Scripture as historical documents. Suppose we look at it in, in terms of it was but addressing... But it's all man-made. Oh. If it's a historical document, it's not some divine... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. All I'm trying to say is that if we want to look at the Quran as, as fallible, as if we want to look at it as a flawed document, whoever was responsible for its authorship... Then you can come to peace with what it was trying to do for its time. And you can say, thank you very much. That doesn't suit me in the 21st century, but I can see that in the 7th century it made sense. Yes, yes, I think and that I would support mistake. that view. I think it's a mistake for anybody, even an atheist or an ex-Muslim, to demand modern sensibilities from the Quran. Nobody's doing I that, think, though. You just, I'm well, just you saying, are, because no, you're no. saying— 
You're saying this is so sexist, it's so misogynist. Yes, because in today's times, we have a definition of sexism. Right. Do you think in but the all century I'm saying even is that it's not so all, it's not so perfect for all times. It's not so divine because it shouldn't be limited by the morality of the seventh century. Then, if it's written are by we, an limiting it to the God. morality of the, hang on, why are we limiting it to the morality of the twenty first century? Why are we doing that? We, when we get to the I'm 25th century and the 30th century, I'm when we get human. to the 25th century, I'm not when claiming we get to the divine 25th, status. This isn't that, that doesn't make sense. I'm not claiming to be. When perfect. we get to the when we get to the 25th century and the 30th century, what we believe in the 21st century is going to look really awful of for that. Of course it will, Bina, but that's because we're mere mortals. We are flawed. I'm not denying that. I am so right. imperfect. I could not even list for you the ways. What but, is it that you? What is it that you were looking for from scripture? What did you want from it when you were trying to make sense of your logical questions? What is it that you wanted? Logic. Okay. That's it. Well, firstly, logical consistency. It's not even logically consistent. I mean, even as a child, even as a five or six-year-old, I found a lot of loopholes. Right. Consistency is something that always bothers me. When people are inconsistent, it bothers me, even in terms of anti-Muslim bigots. If I'm, I'm not religious because I'm against bigotry. And I see that, um, to me, religion involves bigotry. And that's not the way you see it or practice it. That's fantastic. But um, the way that I see it as originally intended it seems very, very bigoted. So it, I've left it behind. In the same mm -hmm. way, I'm against people who are bigoted towards Muslims. People have a hard mm -hmm. time grasping this. I am completely against religion. I'm completely against Islam. But I am all for standing with Muslims who are experiencing bigotry. I mean, the mm -hmm. um, anti-Muslim bigotry is something that I face too. Right. So Because of? Because, because of what? Of my background. Certainly not because certainly not because of your religion, because you don't have one. So it's no, basically your culture. No, but you can't see my religion, right? So I mean, when I'm traveling, my passport, my birthplace, uh, you know, my previous travels to Saudi Arabia, all are red flags to people. They don't know how irreligious I am. Mm -hmm. You are profiled a certain way simply for being of Muslim background or from being from the area. My, um, you know, I had a relative that was pushed on the subway and called a terrorist. Uh, He's not uh, religious either. And right. neither does he look religious at all. But it's just his skin color exactly. and his appearance, basically. Who do you blame for this situation? Do you blame the, the Muslims who have acted so badly that we've now got this terrible reputation all over the world? I think it's a two-sided thing. For this? To both. To be honest, mm. it's the us versus them narrative, which is why I'm against this whole nitpicking of, oh, they're white and we're not white and we should right. be always seeing each other separately. I'm against tribalism right. and I, I see this right. comment among Muslim bigots and anti-Muslim bigots. Is this us uh -huh. versus them? It's us versus them. They can never be like us on both sides. You see that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's yeah. obviously... Yeah, um, I do. Anti-Muslim bigots behead a lot less people, so they do have that going for them as a bit better. But um, mm. yeah, it's it's truly tribalism's fault, I think, and religion is a way of instilling tribalism mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
And yet I read the Quran and I see nothing that tells me to stick to tribal values. I see nothing that that appeals to me that I would want to look at it and say this is a justification for my own bigotry. This is a justification. You don't see the differences that are throughout the scriptures among Muslims and non-Muslims, how to treat them differently. You don't see that? You don't see different... Uh, I, I see them in a different way than you do. I don't see them as an instruction to me in the 21st century that this is what I should do with a non-Muslim. What I see is an establishment of rules for those times, that day and age. And there are certain verses that you are meant to take as an instruction for all certain verses that are meant for that specific time only. And this is the the problem. Right, this so then in the, your, again, it shows the imperfection of the document. It's not really a guide to live by for all times. If we can just accept this, our communities would be so much better off. Well, I think that we need to look more carefully at how the document is constructed. There are so many places where the verse will say, Muhammad, uh, Prophet, this is for you. Other people shouldn't follow this. I'm telling this to you. Nobody wants to pay attention to that. Nobody wants to look at the verse and realize that, okay. There are some places where it doesn't say this is for him. It's just something that he did, and we're supposed to follow in his example. I really, if I were a theologian, I could really sit with you and pull out all the verses and we could go through them yeah, one by I mean, one, but neither am I nor are you. Let's, let's talk about the council. <laughs> but I do us. know, I do know that it's not all straight. Hello, Bina, this is everything you need to do from start to finish. Well, yeah, I know the Quran is personalized to you, but it could be a, a lot better than what it is. I mean, I think that I could take my whole life and try and study it, and I probably still wouldn't understand it, but that wouldn't stop me from trying. And I think that as a Muslim, that is my, that is a responsibility that I have to keep looking at it and to keep trying to tease out meanings and layers. There are at least four or five, so if not it's, six layers to, to me, how that, the Quran that is written. comes off as a bit elitist, right? Not Why? on your part, on God's part. Why? If he has created this thing. Oh, God's an elitist. He's God. Yeah, yeah, but he's only made it it's accessible. It's not my next door neighbor. He's only made it accessible to people who have the luxury and the education and the time and the understanding to sit there and tease out parts and parts and parts for their whole life. You think the average like person in Pakistan that's a domestic worker has that kind of time? No, or that kind I of think, knowledge or I that think, kind of patience. I think I think that I think that the way that it works, if I'm not mistaken, is that the responsibility to a Muslim increases the more privilege and the more luxury and the more education that he has. So somebody who's not that educated, somebody who doesn't have that time and luxury will not be held accountable for not having had the time or the ability to sit and look at that the way that I might. It's not about so not think, being held accountable, though. It's about giving a message that's so vague, so unclear, so contradictory that people can supposedly misread it and have been I mean, doing... So brutally. let's make it clear. Let's make it clear that vague, uncontradictory, and so on are your descriptors right, right. for they're the Quran. Not yours. They're right. not mine. I think that the Quran is is very specific where it needs to be. I think that it's general where it needs to be. I think that there's 
a literal layer, then there's a spiritual, then there's a metaphysical, then there's an allegorical meaning to right, every not single person. Everyone is going to pull those things out of it, though. So that's it is not very that, that's neither my responsibility nor yours that everybody will or will not pull no, that out. But I it mean, should I, be a divine beings. Come on, who is the Quran for? Is it for only the most educated upper class, or is it for everybody? I'm not going to try and understand what God meant when he said the Quran, as I believe that he did. I'm not going to say I know what God meant. I can only do what I know I'm capable of doing. If I care so much, I'll try and transmit the best of my knowledge to other people that want to know more about it. That's the best I can do. You send 20 kids to school. Are all 20 of those children going to actually get the same grades, understand everything the same way? They're probably not. No, but when you're teaching kids, you're trying to be clear. You're not giving them contradictory messages. You're not giving them... And yet, as a teacher, I can tell you that when I stood up and said one thing, all 20 kids took 20 different meanings from what I said. And I may have been completely clear, but because of individuality... But again, you're a flawed human being. Surely God can communicate a bit better than you. Well, if I see him, I'll ask him the question. All right. Let's talk about the Council of Islamic Ideology. Woohoo! My favorite subject. <laughs> so this is a lovely uh, group. You, you want to just explain what they are? They're an advisory board, and they were formed. I don't even know what the year was. I was supposed to look it up. They were only supposed to be around for 10 years. They stuck around for a lot longer. Basically, their job is to examine the laws of the country and make sure that they are consistent with the Quran and Sharia and blah, 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 blah. Right, and they have suggested. (laughs) They have no no legal power whatsoever. They can't make laws. They can't do anything. They just sit there and and then they that's it that's great that they don't but uh, i mean you know sometimes the god power is more than legal power like look at how salman tasir was murdered just for opposing the blasphemy law right some dude took it upon himself to do god's work and murder this person who's opposing blasphemy laws that wasn't yeah. really and that, that, and, legal. And, ha, ha, ha. I'm going to annoy you by saying that the blasphemy laws are a gift from British colonial times. <laughs> right, but can we no. please like grow up now and do things for ourselves? We need to have um, <clears throat> anti-hate speech laws, and we need to make those consistent, and we need to take out whatever oh, the— I'm worried about the hate, hate speech as a term, you know, because people use hate speech to define things like anyone that offends anyone— religious i'm not going to get into the whole thing of what what you know the ins and outs of the law but let's go back to the council of uh, islamic ideology recently they suggested that um you can lightly beat your wife and now this is an excuse i've heard a lot and coming from educated people and it makes me like laugh and cry internally at the same time because i don't know whether it's funny or it's sad it's a bit of both but this, they, they use this, oh, but it's not like a harsh beating that is prescribed in the scripture. It is. I mean, come on. They're not fooling anybody. It's a light beating. You can beat her with they're a straw or a feather. You're, they're not fooling anyone. And especially in this day and age where we have such a problem with domestic violence. And the government has actually said it's a priority to end this. So they're, the Council of Islamic Ideology is basically just trying to get some attention, I think. Right, they're feeling but don't you think out. they could influence people? And, I mean, they've got backing in the scripture. Do You know, for me, I think that they are actually, it's really good that they said this because it's come out into the open and now we can actually debate it. Yeah. Because before, domestic violence was always seen as something, right? Mm-hmm. You just keep it in the house, you don't house, talk yeah. about it, you don't. 
So this, in fact, they've done us a favor by saying this because now we're discussing it on in the media and talk shows on television and alternate viewpoints which have never been heard before. I mean, women never even considered before that they had the right not to be hit. And suddenly that's coming out everywhere and people are talking right, and women are saying... Right, that's great, but what happens when someone shows them the verse? The husband's like, here it is. And here's a quote from you. You wrote a blog post on this. It boggles the mind that anyone could find any of these recommendations sensible, but they don't come out of nowhere. The vast majority of Pakistani men do believe that it's their divine right to discipline women and keep women yep. under control. And yep. they confound and, and masculinity with violence. Therefore, the masculine thing to do is keep your woman under control by using violence. Yep. Um, yeah, so you you do recognize that it's not coming out of nowhere. No, I, I don't. And I think we go back to 434, and I think, again... It's this problem of this interpretation of that verse. I really, and I've even heard some male scholars saying that that word darabad does not mean hit. It means to separate. Right. So I think but if I've, we even I've spoken able with to, people who are hafizes and uh, also scholars and people who've studied classical Arabic who sure. say it does mean sure. hit. So well, it, it has twelve different meanings. It has. Right, but in that Meaning. context so, of uh, of how the verse is flowing, it's pretty. Yeah, what's the 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 verse flows like this? First, if you if you fear that they're going to be disobedient, and the scholars, the the alims have all said, oh, disobedient to you, the husband, and other people say disobedient to God. If you fear this, you can admonish them, leave their marital bed. It doesn't and say then, disobedient to God. It says disobedient. What? So. Uh, first, yes. it starts off with saying all the things have been added, disobedient, but they added, they added, they added in commentary, they added in tafsir, they added in interpretation, they put, they sneak it in there. But that what is does the, it mean, disobedient to so who? Nushu's rebellion against what? some responsibility of being what people see it as. Right? Islam Whatever what? amazing message Islam? God had planned who, did not come who is through. Islam? Islam is basically the Muslims themselves. Right. Islam is not a person. So then so the majority have to realize we want to hit women. Therefore, we're going to interpret this verse the way we want to. And we're going to make it look like it says women get to be beaten up. No, it's, it says that in all the major publications, in all the major uh, versions wrote of the Quran. Those says major, that. Wrote, who wrote all those translations and interpretations? All men, but... Exactly. And Religion all those men is a come, game for men. It's, all it's those men come from a very well. I well, right. So, but it's time for women to take it back. To take and it I think back we have every from right. The people who that. created it. I mean, they created it for themselves, and that much is apparent. It's time for women to just say this doesn't work for me. But anyways, we can agree to disagree about well, that. I, 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 I'm not willing to give up Islam just because some men made a mess of it. I'm not willing to do that. It means See, a lot more to me. Okay. Uh, if that's your understanding, it's not because, the way okay, I see I'm it. Going back, going back to the earlier point that you made, that you wanted logic out of Islam. You wanted logic. I didn't go to Islam for logic in the way that you may have gone to Islam. You went to Islam for some clear answers. I went to Islam for a kind of a spiritual path and a spiritual journey and a relationship with what I understood to be a creator of this universe. And I got that. 
So I don't know how you, know, you get I, that when the creator is so deeply how, flawed. No, how can you know what I individually get out of I it? And how can know. you judge that? That's what I'm yeah, saying. So, so you'll have to leave it be. I, you, I'm, I'm this happy is to leave it I be. Don't, this is one thing I don't understand about people like you, ex-Muslims, so on and forth. You're done with Islam. Goodbye. Why are you coming back and giving me a hard time about it? Why? Because you're, you're whitewashing the abuse that Islam has caused you care? us. Why do you care? Why you're do I done care? with okay. Islam. You, Why do I care that my abuser Islam. gets known as, an abu- as the abuser that he is? Or that he gets away with it? Who is this abuser? I don't know anything about your abuser. Religion I don't is my know abuser. And I say that as someone who grew up in a very, very liberal family. So it's not like they abused me or forced okay. religion on me. But I grew okay. up in Saudi Arabia where the state did enforce religion on me to a certain degree. And yes, you're going to say that's not your interpretation. That's the Wahhabi interpretation. However, these things are not plucked out of nowhere. As you acknowledge yourself, they can find backing in scripture as well. You have to, you're the one that has to really try to find another meaning to try to fit it into this century. And people that well, read you it. Can, you, you can take the U.S. Constitution and you can pluck the Second Amendment out of it and say that means I get to but own a gun. But who wrote that? But who wrote that? Who wrote it? The was founding it a divine being? Was it a god? Or was it a flawed you know, person? Well, the Founding Fathers are, are as close to perfect Americans as you can get. No, 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 no. They're flawed human beings. There's no comparison with, a, with an all-perfect say, All I'm trying to say is that people color what they— people color source documents. People color that with their own prejudices, with their own needs, their own lacking, their complexes, their desires, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, but there are some things that just exist within the document, especially if that document is a guide to life. What kind of terrible guide to life is it if no two people can even see the same thing in it? If it's so contradictory that it doesn't make sense the same way to everyone. That doesn't make sense to me because how can you expect two people to see everything exactly the same way? I'm not expecting them to see everything exactly the same way. However, basic morals and values... No, 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 no. A a verse that says you can beat your wife means to some people not beating your wife. I mean, these are opposite meanings. A verse to me that says separate from your wife. How can you see it as beating your wife? Because there's a word in there that also means That means separate. It also, it also means, means separate. Beat, though. Who's going to It decide? also means separate. We don't have an I mean, Islamic we can, pope, we can, though. So who's going to... We can argue this all night. I mean, my father didn't beat me. So obviously... Neither did mine beat that. me, obviously. So he read that verse, and he obviously didn't say, okay, this means I'm going to beat you or no, my wife or whatever. I'll tell you why. Because most people who believe in religion... Do not take it literally. Do not take every single verse seriously. They ignore you most absolutely, verses. You absolutely cannot make. I'm very sorry. But I you cannot can. what? You can't make the generalization that most people take it literally. Or do. You don't know what they do. You don't know. I how do they know think. what they do. You don't, I mean, I can see in the world that most people think. are not living by the Old Testament, by the Quran, or the New Testament. They're just not living by those values anymore. I mean, sure, in the Muslim oh. world, it's closer to it, even though it it has changed. You're, now you're still. generalizing. Now you're generalizing. I'm not generalizing. And I think 
You, you really think that people are taking their books literally and seriously I to this some day? People do and some don't. I people think some are better. Do some people are better than I, their over a thousand well, year old values. And I'm scripture. very happy you see it that way. That is how I see it. I mean, my my dad did not beat me or my mom or force us to cover up. And he's a wonderful secular guy, but he's also a Muslim. That's probably because he does not follow these verses. Mm-hmm. Right? He, so hasn't, he hasn't found some feminist interpretation. He hasn't really searched for one, but he hasn't really examined each verse either. He probably doesn't even know what verse 434 says if I ask him right now. How does he know what to do? How does he get dressed in the morning? <laughs> because, because he's a, human, a functioning human being. He doesn't need religion for that. You see what I'm saying? He does go to the mosque and pray sometimes, and he takes he only a that? very peaceful and why, lovely message. Why does he do that? Why, why does he take a peaceful and loving message when somebody else gets such a violent message? Why? Because, because he's, he's an individual parts of it. Because he read it and he or he didn't read it or whatever, but he gets something different out of it that somebody else does. Yes, and because honestly, he's not devout. He's not going back see, to your the more devout back, people get in religion, the the more terrifying they become. Can can we agree on this? Sorry, could you say that again? I said the more devout people get in religion, the more terrifying they become. Absolutely wrong. Goodness me. I think you're hanging out, hanging out with the wrong Muslims. To be very honest with you. <laughs> really? How Honestly, many spent, really, really, really ultra-fundamentalist Muslims do you know oh, that now have? You've, now you've brought in a different word. You First you said devout, now you're saying fundamentalist. These are two well, okay, different well, words. How are they different, devout and fundamentalist? Discussing this specific topic with Bina made me put some thought into it and rethink it a bit. I put out a Twitter poll to see what others thought about the differences, if any, between the terms fundamentalist and devout. I'll put a link to the poll in the notes so you can see the many responses. It was pretty interesting to explore. But by far, the idea that there was a tiny difference, if any, was top of the poll, and none was pretty high up, too. After looking into it further and giving it some more thought, maybe I've softened my position a bit, but not by much. I can say that perhaps there's a fine line, but definitely not a vast difference in my opinion. My point was to stress that the further you are committed to religion, any major religion, the more problematic your values will be by modern standards. When I say terrifying, that's what I mean. Not necessarily jihadists or violence, but those who are devoted to their religions will surely take their scriptures seriously. Taking them seriously means they will likely adhere to the fundamentals. Sure, there are some slight differences that I recognize, like one can be devout to their version of the religion. One can be a devout Wahhabi or a devout Sufi, and those would look totally different. In my experience with deeply peaceful, kind, but very, very, very devout people scratch the surface and their values are... Horrendous. Their ideas about gender roles, women, homosexuality, sexuality in general, virginity, disbelievers, science, education, are pretty disturbing. Yes, they're lovely and peaceful in their everyday life, which is excellent, but don't put them face-to-face -face with any of the things they oppose, and you're good. This is what I meant when I said deeply devout people can get terrifying. 
those new age liberal theists with their feminist interpretations and gay-friendly inclusive interpretations, they, in my definition, are just not that devout, which gives them the flexibility in the first place to stray from what their actual scripture says. There is no official framework for these liberal versions of religion yet. When and if there is, perhaps we can say they are devout in that form of religion. But at the moment, it's religion itself which teaches intolerance, and so being devoted to it becomes problematic. That is my opinion. I googled the definitions of the words, and here's what I got. Fundamentalism, a religious movement characterized by a strict belief in the literal interpretation of religious texts, especially within American Protestantism and Islam. Devout, deeply religious, devoted to a particular religion. So I guess devout is lacking in literalism as part of its official definition. But the more deeply religious you get, the more strictly you adhere to its teachings. And that's where literalism comes in. Anyway, we can nitpick terms endlessly. Time to get back to the conversation with Bina. Saying fundamentalist. These are two well, okay, different well, words. How are they different, devout and fundamentalist? A devout person is pious. A devout person is somebody who really effaces their own ego and their needs and their base desires. Really, they devote themselves to a spiritual path and they look for the reflection of divinity and everything that they say and do and see and observe. To me, that is devotion. Fundamentalism is something extremely different. It's political. It's it's just something completely different. So we're talking about apples and oranges. For no, me. because devotion I, to a scripture can lead to fundamentalism. I think you need to spend time with different Muslims. <laughs> I don't spend time with anyone other than my very liberal Muslim family. You need to spend some time with people from different walks of life, different countries, different... I have. I, I grew up in a very so multicultural compound in Saudi Arabia. Have, Many of them you, were Muslim. Saudi Arabia, that a devout a compound in Saudi Arabia cannot be your rule of thumb for the no, entire it's Islamic my, it's world. It's not my rule of thumb, though, but have you met every single Muslim in the whole world? Neither of I us have met can... De- I have met devout Muslims who have been the most gentle, loving, warm, and tolerant people I can ever hope to meet. Then they are not as devoted to the text as they should be in, in terms of devoutness. <laughs> Look, oh my if goodness. you're taking I think every I, single I, verse I, I really literally, if you're, t- if you're going to you- take every single verse, then you're going to take those verses about killing, about war, about slavery, about... It's all in there, right? The people who ignore yes. those verses and say that that does not apply to this time, they are not as devout as the people that I'm... Of course, devoutness is a spectrum as well. But religiosity Where, uh, okay. is not is not a wonderful... It's not a wonderful thing in my mind. Obviously, I'm biased, um, but as I, mean, I said, there are many there are many layers of reading verses. There's the literal, there's the metaphorical, allegorical. Then there's the metaphysical. There are yes, so many layers to the verse. That if you has only look for to the education to bring all those meanings out of it, you know, right? That is, that's what, that's why. Um, that's why we have scholars listen to what the that's, scholars are saying. Then that's, that's why not really we're very in, nice. That's why. That's why the first word of the Quran is ikra. 
Read. Read it yourself. Understand it for yourself. I read it myself, and hence, I am an atheist. It is, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's It's been lovely. Look, can we just quickly talk about the article that got us to having this conversation? It's your article about Afghan women and what the West gets wrong. Oh, sure. Yeah. So... I remember that Sam Harris tweeted this article um, and and said, ugh, right? And you were like, oh, achievement unlocked. So is there a little bit of a beef there or? No, I don't. I don't pay attention to Sam Harris. So why was it an achievement that he didn't like your article? No, I was like, cool. He retweeted me Ah, and he doesn't like me even better. So it's good that he doesn't like you. You don't like him. Yeah. I think he's annoying and silly. Silly? Yeah. That's not a word I've uh, heard. I don't think he's silly at all. I mean, I don't agree with him all, all, all the time, but... Oh, he's a silly man because he dismisses so much of the world with a wave of his hand. I mean, did he even read my article? Did he even understand the point I was trying to make? Obviously not. The point that I was trying to make was that Afghan women have a very different understanding of themselves than what the West has pasted on top of them as these poor, voiceless and oppressed beings and obviously that doesn't fit sam's worldview so he just goes Ugh. but it's not really as not, simple as I that mean, i if mean he, if he's a smart and logical man i would have expected him to at least read the piece and debate me on I'm it i'm pretty it's sure it. that he read it and that's why he commented well, on it right is that all he had to say about it that didn't convince me but i mean are you sure he hasn't read it just because it was a one word i mean i can i can see no, i'm, why sure, he said I'm that. sure he just i'm sure he dismissed it he dismissed it after reading it, perhaps. But you can't. He knows really... so much about Af- he knows so much about Afghan women, and he's been here and met so many of them. <laughs> See, and this is I the assumption that... people make all the time that they they think that they know more than the women themselves. This is not well, really I, what I anyone's saying. No, but I don't accept his expertise in the area of Afghan women. He, but he's, he's not probably... really trying to be an expert. I think it's pretty obvious, though, that well, then... they are not having a great time over there. Here's, here's I think it's pretty obvious that they know that already and don't need to be told it by Western people. So what what is your point then? Everyone else should be silent. Don't you think there's power and solidarity? How did we change um, like here's public opinion thing. on here's homophobia? The on- here's the thing. Most, most people do not want to take the back seat in, in things like this. They don't want the Afghan women to lead the change. They want to convince everybody and themselves that the Afghan women cannot change for but themselves. But I don't so think Sam must- was saying that at all. He just said, Ugh, No, Sam know, wasn't like- saying that, but much of, but if you and recall Richard the article Dawkins that I wrote. Richard said that Islam needs a feminist revolution and everyone was up in arms and everyone was upset, <laughs> right? He's not my go-to person for any feminism right, or Islam. Right. No, no, either. I get it. Um, sometimes he does now, say... If I want to learn about atheism or if I want to learn about humanism or secularism, yes, I'll read him, but I'm not going to go to him for expertise on no, this area. No, but he's not pretending to be an expert. That's really like no, the but most they, obvious statement in the world, like saying the sky is blue. That doesn't mean I'm an expert in the sky or what's going on in the sky i'm just looking up and saying the sky is blue islam does need a feminist revolution even you probably agree with that right that's why you're looking up feminist interpretations of those texts well i just i read i just recently finished uh the book by uh asma lamrabet who's a moroccan pathologist called women in islam and her argument is very interesting that there was a feminist revolution taking place, and it was aborted by the 
patriarchal powers that couldn't stomach the ideas because there was so much in early Islam that was empowering women. They were invited to political participation. They were invited to use all sorts of things that the men just couldn't take. And then they pulled the plug on it. So, I mean, that's a good book. You should read that one, too. I've got a book review on it coming out soon, which I'll post the link to. Okay, I'll check it out. But yeah, I mean, there's just a wealth of the reason why I read all of these feminists and women. And so because I want to hear their voices. I'm tired of the voices we've already heard. I'm sick of hear them. like other perspectives as well. Like, I mean, I guess you're engaging in conversation with me, which is awesome. Um, yeah. I know this can't be the easiest one ever, but thank you so much. Well, for honestly, me. I feel no threat talking to you about anything just because. I'm secure in my position. That's Fear great. But then you see, these are also Fear. viewpoints that should be given um, some airtime. No, but he, some you, you have useful things to say. I enjoy listening to your experience. You know, you have a unique perspective. I want to hear about it. I feel that you have genuine concern for the community, even if you have left it behind. And I think that comes but from I a place But I haven't left the community behind. These are two different things. I've left the religion behind. I'm very much part of the community. I always will be. I can't... You can, You know what being Desi is like. You cannot escape. It's Hotel California, man. You can check out any time <laughs> well, you like, I, but you I mean, I think, I think we... I think the Desi community and the Desi culture is often at odds with Islam and the Muslim message so i you know but I okay think- let me finish talking about this this um <laughs> you say that the west gets it wrong they're not as victimized or what did you say no, no, um, no, no, no. imperial interventions are unable to produce the ground level moral shifts that must occur within afghanistan to make its women safe and then you talk about like, how you I mean, too I, made the, the mistake research- of seeing afghan women through a narrow prism in 1996 Alarmed yeah. by the status by their status under the Taliban, you wrote a short story that focused on their burqas and their enforced mm-hmm. imprisonment. Um, so you feel that it wasn't your place to was it like a first hand account of being a, a woman under this kind of rule that you wrote? No, I it was actually a story where, where I was writing and you would think it was an Afghan woman talking and it turns out to be a Pakistani woman. Right. Instead. There, there's a so twist, a twist that you mentioned. Yeah. And that actually happened then when the Taliban took SWAT took over SWAT in two thousand seven. So but you know, okay, so there are studies that say eighty five percent of Afghan women report that they have experienced physical, sexual or psychological violence for or forced marriage. An estimated 2,000 Afghan women and girls attempt suicide by setting themselves on fire each year, which is linked to domestic violence. You know what killed me? You know what killed me was the people commenting on my article saying, Afghan women are so oppressed they don't know what freedom looks like. And yeah, that, that, that exactly, kind of stuff is really ignorant. Was, and I don't think Sam Harris or Dawkins take that view at all. I just think they want to make the obvious point that this is wrong. This treatment of women is wrong. And people are like, well, you're a Westerner. You're a white male. You shouldn't. This is not your conversation. But however, um, isn't it everybody's conversation? If there are 2,000 women and girls setting themselves on fire each day, why should I say, oh, it's not my place because I haven't experienced that life and the occasional woman must be a liberated one, so I shouldn't, you know, I'm not generalizing. I'm just saying that I this think, treatment is I think wrong. What, what the problem is and also what I uncovered in my research for this article was that Western interventions were designed without even talking to Afghan women about what they wanted or needed. 
Sure, we that's can the always kind of, improve. That is, but that was the entire crux of the article. That those there kinds are so of so many things that you say that can be like misinterpreted, right? Like. Instead of progress in the field of women's rights, a series of shocking images of beaten and battered young Afghan women is paraded in the media to mock that once lofty objective. I mean, you, it's kind of like you're ascribing an ill intent, right? It's not like they're parading these Yes, things. and if you, go, if you go and read the next paragraph where I quote Spagmaya Sir, and she says that there are many feminists in Afghanistan and intersectional feminists who actually saw the selling of the oppressed Afghan woman as a selling point for the invasion. So there is, there was, and there could be some ill intent there. So when All you speak I'm of Western say, intervention, do you only speak of invasion or do you speak of people speaking out about it, this is not your conversation kind of thing. What I'm saying is that show solidarity, but don't try to take the lead in the fight, because that is for to, Afghan who's women. who's trying to take the lead? If they're setting up an, a non-governmental you know, Have you heard of the Laura Bush Institute for Afghan Women? Okay, Institute so then Laura Afghan Bush is someone you should have a problem with. Yeah. I, it, okay, sure. and who, who, who else do you think I'm trying to address all the aid you know, and but there were people that really in the in the, the aid ones that are helping. These are the ones that are bringing the numbers out, the stats out, that are showing the world that it is eighty five percent of women, that it is two thousand women a year that set. So you mean so you mean to wrong? say that there there are no Afghan feminists and no Afghan institutions that are I doing this work? That's not. But what the I said Western the Western world cannot take the lead in this fight. But sometimes they, they have cannot. more. They have more resources and. They can just do more. So why would why, you stop? Why, why do you assume? Why do you assume that that is how? Do you know that there have been Afghan feminist groups, resistance groups? Do you know the history of I'm Afghan sure feminism? There are, but why would you turn uh, turn down solidarity? You know, as an ex-Muslim, I would never say that you know ex-Muslim. That conversation is only for ex-Muslims, and everybody else stay out of it. I would take solidarity and numbers, and more people you, talk but about it. If you look at the research that Lena Abirafi did, which I also quoted in my article, there was there's huge suspicion of the West amongst Afghan women. They are not. They are not all sitting yes. there saying, "Please rescue us." The, They're not doing not, that. This is not it. But if are you suggesting that people stand by and watch people suffer? Because I oh, said case, I said solidarity, but don't you cannot take the lead in this fight. I don't I'm see what's unclear about, about no, that. No, no, no. But that's I not don't really see what. But that's it. That's all I have to say on this. I cannot say. I cannot answer. Say yes to you because that isn't what I'm saying, and I think I've said it three times already. Yes, but a lot of things that you say can be interpreted as in you stay back because you're a Westerner. They don't need your if help. You, you just said you it right now. That, They're not asking for rescuing. Have, if you are sensitive and you're going to think that, then you're probably going to see that in what I wrote, even though I'm saying I didn't. that isn't what I said. See, you say, in fact, they resent greatly the idea that foreigners need to intervene yes. on their behalf. That is directly from the research. you your entire project on That is directly. That is directly women, from the research. Right. To free women on an untruth, is there any surprise when it fails? What's the untruth? The untruth is the projection of Afghan women as victims and oppressed and unable they to speak are for themselves. victims and oh, oppressed. Oh, there you go. You just, are say, you're now, now you are saying exactly what I, the people that said to me, they don't even know what freedom looks like. No, we have to no, go no, no. They do know what freedom them. looks like. I'm sure everybody knows what it looks like and <laughs> aspires to it. But how can you debate statistics that are saying 85% of them are abused? 
the Western understanding of the Afghan women is that she doesn't know what oppression is. She doesn't know she's being abused. She doesn't know she's being oppressed. Afghan women know very well that they're being oppressed. But have you listened to their voices or are you just going on what you are imagining is true about them? This was the point of the article. And really, I, I, I can't discuss this anymore now. Because this is going nowhere. Okay, so this is I've very much like the the Mona El Tahawi kind of uh, perspective, really? right? Is it not? Yeah, I mean, she said something about I, how I'm saying. Listen, I'm saying, listen to Afghan women. Let them take the lead. And she said, this must be a fight between and led by Muslim women. If you're white slash not a Muslim woman, shut up and listen to us. Yeah, you're not saying shut up, but Muslim... I'm saying, I, I'm saying listen and give solidarity, but don't take the lead and don't co-opt the lead because but, but, that's an outside intervention and it will fail. But how can you show solidarity and not go in and try to help if you can, if you have the resources? How can you not speak up? You're going to you, say... I mean, like, I just said that they are oppressed. You're saying that I'm saying the same thing, that they don't know what freedom looks like. Have you, you know? asked them what they want? Do you know what they Who's want? they, though? There's, there's some women that will be women. more privileged. There's some women that will risk their lives to get the hell and out. That is, and that is why you talk to them and you find out what they need. You, and then you design programs that are custom made to what they have said they need. That's not what perfect. you imagine. I think that's a great there suggestion. You go. That, but that's there you an improvement, go. right, that can be Sorry? made. That's an improvement that we can be making. <clears throat> well, I think that that should have been done before they it designed should, all these programs and always, went in there. Everyone always ask the person affected what they need if you're trying to help them, of and course. And I'm saying that what, and I'm saying that based on my research, that wasn't done. Right, but you're also saying that I can't say things like they are oppressed, because they are. I didn't. Though. I said. I said that they are aware that they're oppressed. They don't need to be taught that they're being oppressed. In some ways, though, there are oppressions that come with religion that are just so ingrained in us, like hijabis, like niqabis. I'm not saying every hijabi is oppressed in every single way. I'm just saying that hijab is an inequality to to men that they may not really see. If you're if you're born into a family that expects you to wear, grow up wearing a niqab, you're going to say it's your choice. And you're going to say, this is how I choose not to objectify myself. This is how I choose who gets to see me or twist it into whatever mm -hmm. feminist argument you like. But it is a way of oppressing women. That is undeniable. Niqab is not mm -hmm. a feminist statement. I saw you wrote even uh, a piece on erasing diversity in the Muslim world where you talked yep. about burqas and niqabs and you had this picture where um, yep. you showcased the diversity of different Muslim countries' dresses and how on one side it was all like women covered in black burqas. Yep. This stuff does erase our diversity. And if I'm speaking about niqabs without being a niqabi, or you're speaking about niqabs without being a niqabi, why are you then speaking on their behalf? Is that fair? Uh, I think it's up to every woman to choose how she wants to dress, but I don't have to agree with it. And exactly. that's all I'm saying. But then in the same way, we can say we don't agree with the way women are treated in Afghanistan. Yeah, but I'm not going to go and create a program which liberates women from their niqabs. I'm not going to go and force it on them. And I'm not going to go and create a war to go rescue women from their Yeah, niqabs. I'm not talking about war, though. I'm just that talking, is what about I was talking about people speaking. That was, that was the point of my article. And I am talking about that. If you're just talking about war and not non-government 
organizations and then it's all part of the same it's all part of the same so then you're not just talking about it's, war. Pa- it's, it's all part of the same the whole war slash and then the military industrial complex and then, so then the ngo and the western aid development saying that Afghani women are oppressed is some form of he didn't say that he said uh, and that was a silly comment for him to make it was it was like a non-comment it was a pretty like a like a well exactly exactly which is why I just laughed and said achievement unlocked I can't take that seriously yeah but I mean I can see can I I mean I made it I mean he he prizes logic but that was the least logical thing he could have said so I was like haha he just didn't say anything it's not illogical he he thought he was being very smart and saying but you know but it's that I don't have it's that thing that people like me who are minorities within minorities always face that also where people who are majorities within minorities are speaking for us and saying you do, other people should not speak up for our group or no one's saying speak for us but speak with us speak in unison like the louder the more noise we can create the more information people can get yeah how but awful i mean i totally believe that you have you you have the ability and capability to speak for yourself i'm not saying you're so dumb you don't even know how to speak for yourself That's or not you're what so anybody's up. saying though okay some certain stupid but that was the point of my article that. That was the point of my article. You asked to discuss the article, and that's what we're doing. Right, but I think you assume a lot more people do that than do, right? When someone like Sam Harris— No, I was going based on research, and and what Sam Harris said or didn't say is of secondary importance to me. Honestly, any man that just says, and dismisses the viewpoint of a woman, I'm really not very— You're saying that he's trying to be some sort of expert. You won't go to Dawkins or Sam. They're not trying to be experts. They're not trying to lead the movement. I I think— I think there's a bit of chauvinism in there, also. In just saying, uh, I don't agree with this point of view. No, I think they. Ha- I think they have quite a sexist attitude towards Muslim women, and I really don't. I just. I don't respect it. They're actually stand. They're actually some of the few people that stand up for for those of us from the Muslim community that are women that do not want to be treated the way we are treated from within our communities. So and he stands up for me. That's awesome. No, no, he doesn't. No, he stands up for me though. Oh dear. Do you, do you think he's? I think he stands up for me because I am anti hijab. I think I, I don't anti-hijab. need him to stand up. I don't. I don't think Muslim women need Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris to stand you up for what? them. But you know what? You can say that thing. yourself. But I think the more we get, the more noise we make, the more. Do you, what if gay people said that? We don't need straight people to stand up for us. Let's just Probably. talk about. Being Muslim. No, no, no. I really need to. No, I have to stop now. I'm sorry. Okay. It's gone. It's very late and it's time for bed over here. So. All right. All right, Bina. Well, thank you for having this uh, Not discussion. At all. It was. I enjoyed it. It's yeah. invigorating. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you take care and um, have a very nice evening. You too. Bye. Oh, wait, it's morning for you, isn't it? Okay, well, have a great day. All right, take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, 
no E in mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. Thank you.